0: This is the Motherlands Podcast. The intention of this podcast is to provide evidence-based information related to fertility, pregnancy, childbirth, and postpartum, as well as share positive birth stories. I am your host, Keeley Semler. Thank you for listening to the Motherlands Podcast. If you feel inclined to leave a review, it would mean so much to me. At this time i'm not participating in any paid sponsorships it just doesn't really feel aligned so i truly do appreciate the reviews and the ratings and i make sure i read each one as it helps me figure out what people are enjoying or what people may want to hear more of and if you'd like to be in touch with me directly or if you have any questions about any of my offerings feel free to email me at hello at you may have heard of hypnosis before It is often portrayed in movies and books as something quite dubious, as if it is some kind of mind control. But did you know that self-hypnosis has incredible physiological benefits? This next guest teaches hypnobirthing to support clients through the process of giving birth. Ashley Mitchell Scott is a mother of two, a doula and an educator. I had the honor of supporting her and her husband through the birth of her first child, and she explains how self-hypnosis is an incredible tool to reach a desired state, and how hypnobirthing is essentially a form of meditation with a goal in mind. It's been so amazing to kind of learn from you and learn about how you've evolved in your own practice, particularly your practice of teaching hypnosis and hypnobirthing. And I know that it's something that so many of my clients are interested in. And I'm just curious if you can share a little bit about what you teach and how you teach.
1: Yes. So I teach hypnobirthing, which is a philosophy that was created by Marie Mongan many years ago now. I don't even remember when it was founded exactly, but it's been an approach that's been around for a really long time. And so it's like, it is of course, like a trademarked course where there's like a specific way of teaching it. But...
0: Side note on that, hypnobirthing is different from hypnobabies. Is that right? It is, yes. But does Babies stem from hypnobirthing or you don't know? That is my understanding.
1: Babies has like a lot more like recordings that you're supposed to listen to and it's six classes instead of five. Whereas hypnobirthing is much more focused on like the mom's mindset and the mom being in the state of hypnosis versus, you know, relying on a lot of of recordings. It's like we have one recording that we give you to practice with. And then it's like really just training yourself to go into self-hypnosis. What is self-hypnosis? Yeah. So this is the thing. I feel like I get so many people in my practice who are really interested in hypnobirthing, but they're also nervous too, right? Because hypnosis has just such a bad reputation because of cultural resources. So many people use it as like a really easy out for mind control in movies and television and books. And hypnosis is actually not mind control in any shape or form because you cannot control another person in that way. The only way to do that is if there are other forms of torture involved, which, like, is a whole other kettle of fish. Self-hypnosis, basically, it's a state that we go in and out of all the time. Like, if you've ever daydreamed and created, like, a little, like, story in your head about something, or when you're watching a movie and you suspend your awareness of the fact that these are actors who are saying lines and there's a camera crew and lighting boons and all that. You're just, like, caught up in the story. That's a form of hypnosis. So that to say, it's like, it's a really naturally occurring state. So when we go into self-hypnosis intentionally, my teacher, Grace Smith, who's incredible, likes to say hypnosis is meditation with a goal. And so our goal is to take ourselves into hypnosis with kind of like the goal of going into a meditative state that allows us to become suggestible to a desired state. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so when you go into hypnosis you can use affirmations when you're doing self-hypnosis you can guide yourself in and I teach people how to do that in the class you can use affirmations to create that state or my favorite way is just having people like really visualize what they're hoping to achieve and the more you put yourself into the vision the more it becomes like a
0: part of you let's say I'm a client of yours and I take your class and I'm very nervous and I practice all of the assignments that you give. I listen to the recording and I go into my birth experience, but my birth experience doesn't match what I envisioned for my birth. What what do you say? Based on my experience as a doula, based on my experience with my own
1: births, And just hearing, like, you know, my clients will call me to, like, process after their birth. I don't believe in just, like, teaching the textbook. So Marie Morgan is a really interesting person. I think she has four kids. And she gave birth. Her first two were in the, like, the 50s with, like you know, the dads with cigars in the waiting room. And mom's put under anesthesia for birth. And she had a different belief system. She's like, I don't need anesthesia. I can birth my babies. And she was put under anesthesia against her will for her first two births and had to have like a very serious conversation with her doctor for the third one where she was like, absolutely not. This is not happening again. My husband is in the room. He is a witness. I do not consent to anesthesia. And so the hypnobirthing approach, because of that, it stems a little bit from her trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, it, her trauma is the medical establishment failed to listen to me and failed to support me. So she was feeling very disempowered and she's very anti-medication. Well, she she passed away a few years ago, but she was very anti-medication for birth. And so the birthing approach can kind of come off as being pretty militant sometimes about interventions and really vilifying interventions. And so in my practice, my big focus is on my client's feeling empowered and calm. like I'm really working on their mindset and I don't care if they have a planned C-section. I don't care if they're planning on getting an epidural. I don't care if they're planning on an all-natural birth and then they get there and they change their mind. Epidurals are not the worst thing that could happen. Pitocin is not the worst thing that could happen. Mm. You know, it's all about how you approach it. And sometimes those interventions are so necessary and we have them for a reason because they save lives. So that's a big thing I really like focus on in class. If somebody comes to me afterwards and is like, I didn't know about all these interventions and I was only prepared for a natural birth and everything went sideways, then I failed in my job. You know, my goal is like, obviously, you know, we only have 12 hours, which sounds like a lot, but it's like, you know, like over your many years of teaching childbirth ed and, and doing doula work, it's like you can't prepare for every single thing under the sun or you would drive yourself crazy. Like doctors who've been practicing for years dualists doulas who've been practicing for years still see new things, you know, that they haven't seen. Every birth is so unique and different, but we can prepare for the main ones. You know, we can prepare for the most common interventions. We can say absolutely like, yes, natural birth is your goal. You want to have an unmedicated birth. And what are our real goals? Like, because a natural birth is not the goal. Mm. I really work with my clients on like, how do you want to feel in the labor? What is the vibe you are trying to create? That's really my goal. I had one client, she and her husband said they wanted to have a loving experience. Mm. That was their goal. She was trying really hard for an unmedicated birth. She and her husband, like they were so focused. They showed up to every class, like really in it, ready to go on the natural route. And their child was not in the best position. And when it came time to the birthing phase, they were having some heart decelerations. And so they tried to work around it. They tried different positions. They did everything, you know, quote unquote, right. And their doctor was like, for the safety of the baby, I think we have to go to C-section. And she was so upset. But her husband, like, as we chatted about in class, he asked everybody to leave the room. That was in their birth plan As if they had to pivot, everyone would leave the room. So everyone left the room and the two of them took deep breaths together. And he did a little bit of like one of our relaxations and reminded her that their goal was to have a loving experience. And the most loving thing they could do for their baby was to get the baby out safely. Mm, I love that. She called me afterwards and she told me this whole story and was like, you know what? And that was the most loving thing. And, you know, Turned out like the position, I think it was something about the cord. I don't know if baby had like a a true knot or something. I don't know. There was something weird with baby's position and the cord. And so it's like, yeah, the safest way for baby to be born was by C-section. But because of their mindset work, they were able to get to a point where they felt like peaceful and felt like they were still empowered, making the decisions themselves and still achieving their birth goal which was not an unmedicated birth. It was to have a loving
0: experience. I've had a couple clients who have taken some sort of course like hypnobirthing or hypnobabies. And because their birth ended up panning out differently than how they had prepared, the teacher then says, well, did you study enough? Did you practice enough? And I just think that If you could speak a little bit about that, because I think it really turns people off. I think that, as you said, mindset is important. Like, what is the real goal? And if your real goal is to have a natural childbirth, you may be setting yourself up for disappointment, because that's not something we can always fully control. So can you speak a little bit to that?
1: Yes, that hurts my heart. I know. Legitimately. I get so sad when I hear this kind of stuff from clients, like they've left other hypnobirthing teachers because of comments that have been made that are judgmental about the way that they're approaching things. And so, yeah, it it hurts my heart that people are not accepting. I mean, your baby has a plan that is so much bigger and we don't have control. We can do all the right things. We can eat perfectly. We can exercise every day, do yoga, walk, swim, be in hypnosis like throughout the day. I mean, I was like with my first child and I had time, you know, whenever I wasn't teaching, I was like doing yoga and in meditation. It doesn't change anything. Like you can still have so many things go sideways because there is something like whether it's your baby's plan or whether it's just like situations happen. I always tell my clients, like, there is no way to fail birth. <laughs> there mm-hmm. is no way to fail at your birth. I always say like, if she's quiet, great. Like partners, like tell her what a great job she's doing. She's staying so calm. If she's screaming, great. Tell her she's releasing tension and just vocalizing what she needs. There is no wrong way to birth. And yes, like like you said, if your goal is an unmedicated birth, you are
0: potentially setting yourself up for failure. It's a good principle to aim for but reach for the stars, man. Like there's lots Great, of people yeah. that do it unmedicated and that is amazing. But when your body or your baby is showing signs that there needs to be some sort of support medically, instead of resisting that or revolting, I think that as you said, having a general acceptance for what is and going into it more with what you want to be feeling throughout your experience, I think is just so helpful and important to kind of reframe the whole experience. Yeah, Part of me doesn't fault people that go into their birth experience kind of, you know, with guns blazing, like, I want it all natural and I want Mm -hmm. it. Like, I know that that can sometimes be a response to just how wrong the medical system is right now <laughs> yes. there's a lot that could change and there's as my mentor says there's room for improvement <laughs> it's good to to be open and flexible to to what is going on situationally like you said
1: i mean listen i get it it's so hard to pivot it and and when you are in labor it's such an emotionally charged state. That's why partners are so important. That's why doulas are so important. I mean like to just help you like know when to pivot, know when to accept an intervention as a hypnobirthing teacher who has had two natural
0: births. Which I want to get into in a second. Yes.
1: <laughs> I Always love talking about my births. I have told clients to get an epidural. I have said like, you know what? I think we've tried. I think you need something else. I think you need to rest. Your body is resisting. Let's give it some help. You know, we can always turn it down. We can always turn it off later. Give yourself a break. We just can't get too attached. And I just, again, to go back to the, like, did you practice enough? I know a professional hypnotherapist, like literally lives and breathes this, who was planning on doing a home birth and had an emergency C-section. And she literally like lives and breathes hypnosis. There's no such thing as did you practice enough? Because you are not in control. You have to be able to be in the flow. And if you are somebody who is a little bit more intense about these kinds of things, listen, I get it. I was like that in my first birth. There's a reason (laughs) I had a doula
0: both births.
1: I can be like that. So if you know that about yourself where you're like, I am like feeling so strongly that this is the only way, have a really good care team, get someone in the room with you who can be like, listen, I know this is how you wanted to do it. We have to pivot. We have to pivot for your safety. We have to pivot for baby safety, et cetera. How do we get there? The example with my client, like he helped his wife pivot, like being like, okay, what is our real goal? They had to pivot. She didn't want to.
0: That's a great partner too, to help you see. If your partner can do that for you, great.
1: But like, sometimes we can't hear our partners in birth too. That's a part of it. But listen, partners play such an important role role in birth i'm so grateful for them but sometimes we can't hear them to own it i could not hear my husband
0: in birth at times because sometimes we get like
1: that right there's a lot going on and <laughs> we're allowed to
0: have the feeling totally there was something else that i wanted to bring up about hypnobirthing that i'm wondering if you can kind of shed a little bit of light onto hypnobirthing teaches about this amazing physiological mechanism called the fetal ejection reflex Mm -hmm. which for people that are listening that don't know what that is essentially that means that the baby is low enough in mom's body that mom's body really feels this intense you know, sensation that her body just naturally takes over and is able to help move baby out without her actively pushing. Tell me about pushing. Tell me about <laughs> like, what are your thoughts are on like the fetal ejection reflex? And how does that fit in with with pushing and birthing a baby? Oh, yes. This is the thing where I, whenever I teach, I get like the funniest looks in
1: the first class and where I'm like, we don't push in hypnobirthing and everyone's like, what? are you talking about but yeah we don't push in hypnobirthing because yeah there is this really amazing physiological response your body wants to expel the baby if you just hold space that baby will descend and that baby
0: will be born and by Um, hold space you mean wait it out
1: wait it out just like an active waiting right we're not just like sitting there like hanging out. It's an act of waiting. You are breathing. You are really being very present with your body. We teach birth breathing, a specific type of breathing in hypnobirthing. But the more patience you show, the more you just lean into your breath, the faster, honestly, baby will come. And again, this is one area where there's room for improvement with the medical industry. I always like, this isn't working. We just need to push i've been pulled aside by a few nurses and you're like get your client to push in my doula days i was like i hear you i'm i'm going to let my client lead her birth basically yes we don't push the belief system is that when you breathe you breathe in a specific way it's like a down breath where you are working with your body and you are feeling into the pressure you are breathing towards that pressure And the more you breathe downwards and just like move towards that pressure, the baby will move down on their own. And this is so much gentler on your body than pushing because pushing, you are holding your breath. You are straining. A lot of the times there's like especially when you're in the traditional pushing position where you're on your back with your feet up in stirrups or someone holding each knee. And usually it's your partner behind you, like holding your neck and crunching you. It's very uncomfortable. You're really putting a lot of pressure on your pelvic floor. So often there is an increased risk of tearing with pushing. There's an increased risk of hemorrhoids with pushing. There is an increased risk of bursting blood vessels in your face and your eyes with pushing. There's so many things. And it puts a lot of strain on the baby, you know, because you're you're literally like squeezing your abdominal muscles and your whole body around this very tiny little person. And so my belief system is that your body has created this baby on its own. You're not sitting there deciding like, oh, I'm going to give this baby... My ears, or maybe my great aunt's ears, or like, what's the shape of the eye going to be? You're not like making decisions like that. And so your body knows what to do. If you get out of the way and breathe, your body will expel that baby in a way that is so much more comfortable for you and probably faster because doctors are always saying like, "Oh, it'll be faster to push how long is the longest you have seen someone push?
0: Oh man. Well, it depends. I mean, yeah, I've seen people push for a very long time before they feel ready to. Yeah. I think the hardest part about, you know, people using hypnobirthing in a hospital setting is that as soon as the doctor or the nurse checks the cervix and says, Mm -hmm. you're 10 centimeters, you're fully effaced, you gotta start pushing now. That's Mm -hmm. when the time limit starts. Um, And in California, the time limit in most hospitals is four hours. What I do if I have a client that is using hypnobirthing is as long as baby looks healthy on the monitor, as long as mom has normal blood pressure, normal temperature, all of the things are checking out as normal, then you don't have to consent to a vaginal exam until you feel an urge to push and that nobody should be telling you that it's time to push unless there's a special circumstance where the baby or the mom's body really needs to birth the baby sooner rather than later.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly unless there's a special circumstance, you can follow your body's lead. Let the baby move down unless you feel like you need to pivot. If you feel like you need to bear down, if you feel like you need to push by all means, but the lower you let baby get, the faster that pushing period will be. I have had clients who tell me like, Oh, you know, I pushed for 15 minutes. Like that's great. But I did push and I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> you know, like, this, <laughs> I don't <care. laughs> this is just a philosophy. If you push for 15 minutes, that means you got the baby so low that when you began pushing, that baby was right there and your body was really ready
0: to engage. That's quite a victory because I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are pushing before they feel ready. And unless they have an amazing partner or a doula or some support person, that reminds them in the moment, hey, wait a minute, do you feel an urge to push? No. Or do you feel that baby super low and helping, you know, move down and out? No. Then you're not ready. And then telling the nurse or the doctor, thank you so much, but we're, we're not ready yet. Yes. <laughs>
1: exactly. It's such an important reminder. I feel like when you get to that place, like this is where it's so important, like a big part of the hypnobirthing approach for me is when I have partners attending and I always hope that they will attend, I really kind of drill into them like that their job is the advocate because, you know, we do have some moms who, who go in with guns blazing, like I'm going to do this my way or the highway and don't even talk to me about interventions. But we also have moms who like are so convicted and then they get in there and they start hearing these, oh, well, if you don't do this, your baby might not be okay. And they get scared. And their only thing is like, they want to protect the baby. They get insecure in their decisions because especially first time moms, they've never done this before. What if it's different for them? It is so important to have somebody in the room who is able to be more level headed and ask all the questions and be like, how is mom's blood pressure? How is baby's heart rate? Everyone's good. Like (laughs) everyone's
0: good. Okay. Then we're not ready yet. So when you teach hypnobirthing, are you meeting clients in person or are they online? Do you do privates or are they group classes? I do all of the above. So you mentioned you have two children, right? I do. (laughs) I'm wondering if you could share some of your birth story, either a little of both or whichever one you feel comfortable with and just sort of how your birth unfolded. Was it what you were expecting?
1: You know, it's so funny. I feel like I was given two very different births as kind of, I don't know, it kind of like lends itself to my teaching. A big thing in hypnobirthing that I don't like, and I actively say, like, we're not going to like obsess over this is like Mm -hmm. in hypnobirthing. It's like, we believe in short, easy births. Well, you know what? The long births are beautiful too. Okay.
0: Yeah. It's funny. I just attended a birth a couple days ago, and in labor, my client was listening to some type of hypno birthing recording. And she just would say out loud, Yeah, I don't believe that. I don't buy that either, but I'll (laughs) take what I like. (laughs) And I just kind of giggled to myself because isn't that the point? Take what you like and Mm -hmm. leave whatever behind that doesn't resonate. Exactly. Again, it kind of goes back to the like, we don't really have
1: control. So I don't want my clients to only prepare for a short, easy birth because my first birth, which you were present for, was 33 hours
0: start to finish. So that was long. (laughs) It was long, but in the grand scheme of things, it had a nice progression to it. Yeah. Slow and steady.
1: Yes. I wasn't uncomfortable or like miserable through any of it. like I, I felt really good. And because it was so slow and steady, it was it was just such a funny. It, it's my daughter's my oldest, and uh, that was her. She was my first. and it's very in line with her personality of like doing things in her own way in a way that doesn't make sense to anybody. <laughs> and in a way that takes way longer than we think it should, but because yes, it was so slow and steady. I went into labor at like my contractions at surges, as we call them in hypnobirthing. My surges started at like 11am on a Monday, but they stayed really far apart. They were like seven minutes apart for most of my labor, including overnight. So even though I went into labor at 11am in the morning, like I was able to get some sleep at night, because they were still like seven ish minutes apart. And so I was just sleeping in between one, And then I was sitting up and rocking and chanting and meditating and you know, and then I just like lay back down for the next, you know, seven to 10 minutes, because it progressed so slowly. If I remember correctly, I think they came in to do the check because my water broke before my labor started, which added a complex detail because I don't like rules. (laughs) I didn't tell anybody that that happened. I told you. And I think my husband was like secretly calling you from the bathroom to be like, do we need to be worried? Should I be freaking out right now? Like, what is she doing? Um, (laughs) Everything was fine. I didn't go to the hospital until like 9 p.m. My, wa- like, my water broke sometime. Labor started at 11 and I went to hospital at 9. They did their first check at like 7 a.m., I think. And it was five centimeters. So it's like I took the first 20 hours to get into active labor. And then things continued to progress throughout the day. And yeah, for the most part, I was pretty comfortable. So and you had a hospital day. birth?
0: right? Oh, yes. Sorry. Yeah. Both of my births were hospital births. How did you come to the conclusion that a hospital birth was right for you? There were several factors, actually.
1: My mom had two C-sections and she had an unproven pelvis. They basically told her that she tried with her first birth and had like a really long induction.
0: Just for the listeners, an unproven pelvis just means that you know, a a birthing woman, they're unsure that a baby can pass through the Mm -hmm. pelvis. Yes, exactly. Whether it be anatomical or what have you.
1: Yes. And so, yeah, she tried with her first birth. Ended up with a C section, and then she went right to a C section for for the second,
0: which and was fairly so, common.
1: Yes, exactly. I mean, it was like the early nineties with her second birth, and so it was like, "Oh, you had a C section with the first baby. We're gonna do another C section." It absolutely made sense for her, and so like, even though I know we are not like I'm not my mother, but like, there was a part of me that was like, maybe this is genetic. Pelvis shape can be genetic, obviously. So that was part of it and then also I have some some medical history that for my first birth I just felt more comfortable being in a hospital because both my sister and I had to kind of be whisked away when we were born for for observation for medical reasons very valid ones. So <laughs> for my first birth I was like I just feel safer I was at UCLA so I was lucky I was in the West Side at the time and uh, I was with the midwives back when their practice was a little more robust. Yes.
0: <laughs> very different now.
1: Yes, it's very different now. So I felt good about like I technically wasn't high risk. And so I could go with the midwives. And that just made me feel good that like I, I was still having midwives. I wasn't going to have an LP, but I would be in a hospital just in case something my daughter needed any support or I needed support. Mm -hmm. And with my second birth with my son, I actually told myself, I was like, I don't want to be in a hospital this time around. We'd moved. We were not near UCLA. So I had to find a different practice anyways. So I was like, nope, I'm going to do a birth center. And I found a birth center, went and interviewed and saw the space. And it just didn't feel great for me. Like I'm nothing against the birth center. I just got there and I was like, I don't feel like this is right Right. And then I had to go in for monitoring for something that came up and I went to the hospital where I ended up giving birth and everyone was so nice and the nurses were fantastic. And it was just like, I was like, oh, I feel really
0: safe here. I really love what you said about how you wanted to do it outside the hospital. You explored that option And it's funny sometimes something sounds really good in theory or on paper, but when it comes down to it, just it just doesn't click inside. And you listen to that, which is amazing. Yeah, and I like talked to my doula about it, and she was like super supportive. She's
1: like, "Yeah, that makes perfect sense." And you know, it's funny. So my first labor was really long. My second labor was really short. Everybody missed it except for my
0: husband. And we can share who your doula was because she's been on the pod too. <laughs> my
1: doula. We absolutely would have had you be our doula, but you were out of town. Both of my babies have come on their due date. And so you were out of town on my due date. And so I was like, okay. It's fine. I'll have Rima be my doula because I love her.
0: I Rima's just... amazing. Everyone who's listening should listen to the episode with Rima. I don't know if you listened to that episode, but it's... Yes, I have listened to it. It's so good.
1: I also know her children too. I used to be a preschool teacher. I taught two of her children. Oh, so, so, <laughs> so special. Like, yes. And so I was like listening to her tell her birth stories and be like, oh, this is totally their personalities. I hear it. But yeah, because of that, I've known her for years and so it was like a really easy. She was amazing. She was amazing support. But because my labor was progressed so fast. With your second. With my second. Everybody missed the birth. My doctor wasn't there. Rima arrived 15 minutes after the baby was born. (laughs) (laughs) Did you
0: almost deliver your baby in the parking lot? Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. I always tell people like, you can't do it yourself because <laughs> my whole second birth, it was just my whole second birth was so funny, but I was in labor on and off for like three weeks. And mm-hmm. Rima, Re- Re- I was like always calling her be like, I feel like I'm driving you crazy. I'm really sorry. I don't know what's going on. And I was like in out of labor for like three weeks. I kept having like prodromal labor and like, things would start and then it would stop. My son had like, he had a plan. He was taking his time. He wanted to Well,
0: I'm glad you're mentioning this because sometimes this happens with clients. They have prodromal labor for Mm -hmm. weeks and it's so discouraging. You're like, oh, I'm so close, yet so far away. And one thing I always like to say to clients that are experiencing that is everything you're feeling is valid and it's helping. And even though you're not in active labor, everything you're feeling now is preparing you for active labor. It's not like you're working in reverse. And every time things stop, you have to start all over again. Like, no, like it's all happening inside. It's just not reflective on the cervix yet. Meaning you might not be dilating or effacing yet, but that doesn't mean internally the body and the baby are not preparing for active labor. And like, as you said, Sometimes when someone has prodromal labor for a really long time, once labor actually does start, mm-hmm. <laughs> you've done all this pre-work that things yes. can be a lot faster. Yes. And not that's that exactly. it's always about how fast things are. I think, I know. you know, faster is not better. No, it
1: can be quite stressful. It can be quite stressful. And so that's exactly like my body was taking its time. I actually, I did not have any cervix checks with my first until... The day she was born when I was five centimeters, Mm -hmm. I declined all of them. And with my son, I was like, like I was in labor at like 37 weeks. And I was like, my parents are supposed to come and watch my daughter. Like we just moved. I don't know anybody here. I don't even know what I'm going to do. And so I did a cervix check. I had one like per week, which I normally don't even recommend to my clients, but it was really interesting data wise for me. (laughs) Like, you know, the first time they're like, oh, no, you are dilating. You're one centimeter dilated. And then at 38 weeks, I was two centimeters dilated. I didn't have one at 39 weeks. And then my 40-week checkup, which was like three days before my due date, she's like, oh, you're three and a half to four centimeters dilated. So I'll probably see you this weekend. And so, yeah, it's like, it was that slow and steady progress, you know, where it's like things were happening. My body was definitely progressing. It's just like, you know, it had its own timeline because of that. <laughs> when things did start, my labor was just over six hours and I have weird labor patterns. And so this is something I always stress with my clients as well is because we have like the four one one rule, right? Right. Anyone yeah, which like, I don't
0: teach that. I'm I like, know. Mm, it's not a perfect metric. Don't it's use that. It's not. It's <laughs> I have not. a doula.
1: <laughs> Ideally, you're supposed to go in when they're four minutes apart, lasting one minute long for at least one hour. Well, because I have weird labor patterns. Um, Like with my first, they never got close. Like at the end of my first labor, they were like, we're going to have to start Pitocin while I was pushing because my surges were still five minutes apart. And they're like, we just have to, we have to get things moving. This is something I will remember as long as I live (laughs) because it made me feel so safe. I was actually feeling like really unsafe in the hospital room when that happened because I felt like there was so much pressure. I was being forced to push. I didn't want to push. I didn't want all these people talking to me. My nurse who had been with me all day went off shift as I was pushing right at the end. And she was a new mom. Her name was Katie. She was the best. Her baby was six months old. And I felt very safe. Like, okay, my nurse is a new mom. She gets it. She was so supportive all day. She went off call, and this like blonde cheerleader walks in, who, like, no offense, she was very puppy though. And not like, I was just like, this is not, don't, don't talk to me. And she was like cheering. And I was like, like, you know, you can do, you can do one more push. And I was like, I just, I felt like so overwhelmed. And then the midwife was like, oh, we have to start Pitocin. And she walked away. And you just leaned over and you're holding my hand and you were like, over my dead body are you <laughs> getting Potosin? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I was like, okay. She's like, Evan, my husband. She's like, did you hear that? Over my dead body. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm okay. And is nobody's, nobody's gonna do anything to my body that I don't want, you know? <laughs> because the baby was so close at that point too like I think
0: and also I'm it's so funny I don't remember that so that's a really (laughs) funny memory for listeners I don't think Pitocin is a bad thing I think what I was observing in you is how close you were Mm -hmm. and how we were very aware that for you what was normal is your contractions five minutes apart at the end Mm -hmm. of labor whereas A traditional labor pattern, contractions or surges come a little bit closer, like two or three yeah. minutes apart. But for you, your normal was mm-hmm. five minutes apart. Yeah, and So it didn't seem fair like, oh, hurry up. We need to give you Pitocin so that your surges will come closer together. It, mm-hmm. They were perfect surges. We had to be a little bit patient. So I think that's why I was like, over my dead body, like, you're doing great. Why would we mess with something that is clearly working, you know? Yes, exactly. And it's funny, the whole 411 rule when I see clients or I prepare clients, either my doula clients or if I'm doing a consult with someone as they prepare for their birth, I will tell them, you know, your provider might say, oh, come to the hospital or come to the birth center when they're four minutes apart you know, as you said, one minute mm-hmm. long for at least an hour, or sometimes yep. it's five minutes apart. Mm-hmm. And I reflect back to births like yours. And I think, if someone waits that long, they're going to have their baby unassisted mm-hmm. or in the car. Yeah. So you got to pay attention to other signs that are indicating that there's progress and not just pay attention to how far apart they are and for how Mm -hmm. long there's such a bigger story there.
1: There is. And again, to compare to my second birth, like what my doctor said to me is like, just come in as soon as they get close together. And so because I'd had prodromal labor, because my labor was so long with my daughter and also my anatomy is very compatible with birth. I am very comfortable in labor. Like, that's just how I am.
0: Thank you for saying that. Yes. Because guess what? Despite your mom's experience and Mm -hmm. despite genetics, you have the perfect body to birth your baby the way that Mm -hmm. you did. And I think it's very important for people to hear that, that just because your mom births a certain way, Mm -hmm. it's not a death sentence for how your birth will play out. Yes, absolutely.
1: And then to go back to like what we were saying before about people's births, not working out or them having to go to C-section, like sometimes it is just your anatomy or that baby or like, you know, whatever the case may be. Like again, to reflect back to Rima's episode where she talked about her four very different births, Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
1: and so it's like, we have to follow that birth that child, that body, like, you know, there's so many factors. Yeah. I was really comfortable being in labor. I went into labor with my son at like 10 30 at night and just told my husband, I was like, go to sleep early. Cause I'm going to wake you up at some point to go to the hospital. But like, then I was just like, kind of like just hanging out. And because like they, my, my surges were 11 to 16 minutes apart, 11 to 16 minutes okay, I still have like the data like in my like contraction timer thing. They were 11 to 16 minutes apart, but because it was late at night and I was just like, it was similar to like the labor with my daughter where I was like, oh, it's just, you know, they're far apart at night. Okay. Well, that's how, it, that's how it is. I'll just be in labor all night. And then I'll call Rima in the morning and we will go to the hospital. And I also had like my doctor in my head being like, come in when they get close. The thing I wasn't looking at as I was timing them because I wasn't really looking at them. I was just hitting the start and stop button, seeing 11 minutes apart and being like, okay, this'll be a while. They were a minute and a half long.
0: And I bet you were feeling it. Yeah. You know, feeling it in your low, low back and your butt.
1: (laughs) You know, honestly, I was, I was so comfortable. I like literally, I I couldn't sleep anymore because like they were so long and they were just like, you know, I was really having to focus on them. And so I was in the living room. I was sitting and eating a bowl of cereal and watching Friends <laughs> at three in the morning. <laughs> this is so relatable to
0: so many people. <laughs> I love it.
1: <laughs> and just, you know, standing up every time I had a a search, which was every, you know, eight to 10 minutes at this point. So I was like, you know, they were getting a little closer together. They were eight to 10 minutes apart, but still like really far apart. And then I was like, you know, I actually like, this one feels a little different. And I went to the bathroom and my water broke and I just was like, Oh no. (laughs) And then, Oh yes. oh yes, Yeah, exactly. They (laughs) immediately went to three minutes apart. And the last thing my husband had said to me before he went to bed is just don't give birth in the car. I was like, I won't, this'll be a while. It's fine. Three 30 in the morning, my water broke. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take a shower because you need to go pack to the car. Nothing's in the car and you need to get yourself ready to leave. And my husband was actually really mad at me that I took a shower. And I was like, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm not carrying things to the car. <laughs> like I <I'm> in labor. <laughs> and so I took a shower. I told him to call Rima. He calls Rima, tells her, but I don't think I was very clear about what was happening. And so he told her that the contractions were eight minutes apart mm. and that my water just broke in. And so she was like, OK, like, you know, just get all my stuff together and like I'll probably, you know, we'll be there a few hours. And so I was not clear in my communication about like my water broke and they are three minutes apart now. They dropped. And so he told her that over the phone. She's like, cool, I'll see you there. And I get out of the shower. My husband's getting ready to go. And I was like, you should make a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> you should make a Coffee because it's the middle of the night. And you have to drive. And we live like 25 minutes from the hospital. You have to drive. And so he's like, yeah, you're right. Okay, I'll make a coffee. So he makes a coffee. While he's making his coffee, I'm like standing in the kitchen. And then I just like sit down on the ground and I just go through transition. The room starts spinning. I'm like so dizzy. And I'm just like sitting there. And I was like, this is over. I'm just going to have the baby right here. This is is where I'm going to have the (laughs) baby. And so, yeah, so my husband and my mom pick me up put me in the car and my husband and I was just breathing, you know, Were you communicating
0: to them? Like, Oh, this baby's coming now, guys, we got to move. Yes. Or did they know they could look at you and go, Oh, okay.
1: So I think because Evan, you know, it was our second birth. So he looked at me sitting on the floor and he's like, Oh no. Okay. (laughs) We, we got to go right now. And so he just like got me in the car and I'm doing my calm breathing and then I go like as soon as I start and he's hearing how often they are now, because now they're like three minutes apart. And I'm like going into like my surge breathing and trying to do surge breathing. And every time I'm like, he starts driving like 90 miles an hour and like it's four in the morning. So there's no traffic luckily, but yeah, he was like just speeding to this hospital and we got to, we got to the hospital. The hospital we were at was a really tiny hospital and it was, 430 in the morning. And so the main entrance is closed. And so he's like, I don't even know where the emergency room entrance is. So he's like, this is why you should always know where all the entrances are.
0: Yeah. For anyone listening, do a drive by at your hospital if you're planning to give birth at a hospital so you know yes. where to go.
1: <laughs> know where the night entrance is. Very yes. important. And so he <laughs> he has to Google it and look up where the emergency <laughs> entrance is. Pulls up to the emergency room entrance. He can tell that I've like gone into like birth breathing now. And because I'm like really just breathing hard and just like really focusing nurse or aide at the emergency room takes me out of the car. He's like, okay, miss get in the wheelchair. And I was like, I can't move. And so he like helps to like lift me into the wheelchair. I left one of my shoes in the car (laughs) and my husband's like, okay, let's go. And he's like, oh, you can't leave your car here. You have to go park the car. And my husband's like, I can't go park the car. I have to go with her. And he's like, if you leave your car here, it's going to get towed. And I'm like, just go park the car. It's fine. So the guy wheels me up. My husband goes and parks the car. And it's like sprinting back to the hospital room. The parking ticket says 4.46 a.m. And my son- Is when you
0: went through the parking garage.
1: That's where my, yeah, my husband got his parking ticket at 4.46 a.m. And my son was born at 4.51 So my husband was in the room for less than five minutes because he like sprinted from the parking garage back to the hospital, got up there, got in the room. And so, yeah, I almost had the baby in the car, almost had the baby in the parking lot. But I like was trying, I was like, my husband's not in the room. I can't have the baby. And so I'm trying not to have the baby. And then as soon as he walks in, he like held my hand. I was like, okay, we're good. good." (laughs) So they were just so different. Like I pushed for three and a half hours with my daughter
0: But also, that's a very standard first-time mom experience, you know? Ashley, thank you so much for sharing. How can people find you or sign up to take a hypnobirthing class with you? My website is
1: ourmindfulness.com. That's probably the easiest way to find me.
0: And you have, like, rolling classes throughout the year?
1: Yes. Right now, I teach with the pump station in Santa Monica as well as on my own, so you can also find me on there. Uh, website, so I have rolling group classes, and then I know some people are like a little nervous about doing private classes, but I love them. They're so much fun for me, and you really get to like dive deep into your specific preparation for birth. So if you're feeling like oh, I don't want to be on this spot, but it's also scary to be in a group, and I hate asking questions in front of people, like do a private session like you should ask all of your questions mm-hmm. that's important yes i
0: have rolling group classes and then usually available for privates as well well thank you so much for your time and everything you shared about your births. i think it was really special to witness you be so focused and calm and confident throughout your first birth and i'm sure your second birth as well so thank you so much for all that you do
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is so fun to talk to you about all of this.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share with friends and family and stay tuned for the next episode.